Hi friends, welcome back. Welcome to the Bible Project Daily Podcast. And today we're going to continue our journey through the Gospel of Luke, chapter 5, which is part of our overall project for you and I together to work through the entire Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. Today we're looking, or picking up Luke in verse 12, and we're going to be going through a lot of text today. I'm actually going to cover three episodes, three episodes I've actually done complete sermons on individually in the past, but I'm going to try and push through all three of them today. We're going to look at really the profound difference Jesus makes in the life of people he encounters through the story of the healing of the leper, the forgiving and the healing of the paralyzed man and also the situation where he goes and dines with sinners. So let's look together and see what difference Jesus can make. So bye for now and enjoy the study. Okay, friends, here we go. Luke 5, verses 12, all the way through to 39. And I've called today's little talk, The Difference Jesus Can Make. Now, anyone who would observe a church from the outside, well, we kind of hope they'd see a group of people who have their attention fixed on Jesus Christ. That's the purpose for which we exist. Hopefully by seeing that and witnessing in a group of people, it might inspire them to look a little more closely at to what's going on. But underlying the principle there is the fact that Jesus must be making a difference to the lives of those people. Otherwise, people outside of the church, the Christian community, aren't going to recognize it, are they? So the question I want to ask is what difference does he make? What difference can he make in the life of a person? For us as Christians, the difference should be clear, it should be visible, it should extend beyond the present and into the lives of the people around us. And for us, it will in fact extend beyond the present day into eternity itself. All that's true, but we're going to take a look and see what difference Jesus should be making right now in the lives of individual people. How in fact, knowledge of him relationship with him impacts their lives immediately in the present. So answering this task will involve us exploring, of course, together over these months and years, the entirety of the New Testament. That's something that's way beyond the single message to today. However, I'm going to use the passage today with the goal in mind of really getting an insight into the immediate amazing impact he can have in the life of an individual. I'm going to begin reading at verse 12 today, and we're going to proceed overall to the end of the chapter. However, to navigate it effectively, I'm going to do it in the sections today. I'll read and discuss each part, focusing on each of these very distinct episodes, and then collectively we'll draw it all together at the end, and I'll try and shed some light and reach some conclusions about the difference really Jesus can make in an individual's life. So the first incident I'm going to read for you today is the one where we see Jesus heal a man with leprosy. So picking up at verse 12, it tells us, whilst Jesus was in one of the towns, a man came along who was covered with leprosy. 
When he saw Jesus, he fell with his face to the ground and begged him, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. Then Jesus ordered him, Don't tell anyone, but go show yourself to the priests and offer the sacrifice that Moses commanded, the sacrifices that Moses commanded, commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Yet the news about him spread all the more, so the crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. But Jesus often withdrew to a lonely place and prayed. Okay, here we are. This is the first episode. A man with leprosy encounters Jesus. And it says, again, that lovely phrase, moved with compassion, he heals the man. Despite Jesus instructing him to tell no one, still yet the news spreads and a large crowd gathers to hear what he's saying, with many also seeking healing. So this initial passage we're looking at today very much emphasizes Jesus' transformative power, of course, in healing and cleansing someone who is considered, in fact, untouchable. It illustrates for us also, I believe, how as Christians we ought to follow this example to reach out to all the unlovable and all those who society finds it difficult to forgive. The act here of touching a leper at this time was an incredibly powerful gesture. We've touched on this before. It, it, it shows Jesus crossing the line, crossing barriers, straddling leaping across barriers really and at the same time showcasing his love and compassion that is inherent in his ministry something that we are called to mirror in our lives as christian believers for after all we claim to be followers of him don't we now several uh, shall i say technical things are going on in the background to this passage in the levitical law in leviticus chapter 14 in fact it specifies that those healed with leprosy were were required to make a series of sacrifices. Now, it's additionally worth noting in the case of someone with leprosy, the priest served as a sort of uh, latter-day health inspector. It was he who granted approval for the integration of anyone back into society who had been healed, not just of leprosy, but of any sort of skin disease that would render them un ceremonially unclean. Thus Jesus instructs this person who previously had leprosy to go to the priests as he was required to do, but he also notes don't disclose more widely the healing than that. However, it appears by what happens afterwards that the guy actually disobeyed and he did tell other people and the news of course then spreads. Verse 15 shows us that people have in fact heard about it and we're told they come from various places and they're seeking healing also to the point where it prompts him at times because of the number of people to withdraw to the wilderness to a quiet place and to go and pray. Now before looking into the next uh, episode in this passage I'll just make a couple of quick observations about this. I've said it before several times as we've encountered this disease of leprosy before that this was a very real and dreaded physical disease but also it is used throughout the Bible particularly in the New Testament it is also meant to be a metaphor for sin. 
You see, like leprosy, sin starts small but spreads, and as it does, it defiles and it destroys. It destroys that person, remember, not only physically, but also socially and psychologically by isolating that individual. The psychological consequences of being rejected so profoundly by everybody in society, I would say, were probably even more serious than the physical uh, repercussions of that disease. And then finally, it tells us in verse 16, we see Jesus withdraw into the wilderness, which is, uh, is in a sense, I think, is there to not only to document what Jesus did, but from a narrative point of view, it sets the stage for the next episode that is coming. Because beyond physical healing, Jesus will now cleanse, declare that he cleanses individuals from their sin. He removes defilement and shame. These healings that are being described for us in this chapter are dealing and addressing not only the physical side of things, but the psychological aspects, the things about the conditions that had led. You can see by reading the text the profound difference to the lives that their physical ailments made. The impact for them was immediate, of course, but it was endless, tangible, and it would have led to feelings of shame and guilt. And Jesus here will address both the shame and the guilt associated with the so-called sin of having these diseases. Also demonstrating and showcasing, of course, his, the transformative power that he has of Jesus in the present, in the everyday, to deal with those core issues at heart. Now, having worked a little in the past, or volunteered a little in the past, among people with addictions in the form of soup kitchens and drop-in centres and places like that, when I was speaking to people with addictions, I very quickly learn, came to learn and understand that those people, some of them are homeless, some of them even strung out in drugs or with profound mental health problems. The underlying problem for them, the underlying blockage for them, in order for them to, to sort of step back, if you like, on the road to redemption, is the feelings of guilt and particularly that of shame. Now, I need to think, add, add an explanation here, because I do believe from a biblical point of view, there is a big difference between guilt and shame, and that still applies today. In guilt, at the end of the day, the, the feeling is you probably feel that you did something wrong, and you may very well have done something and should transgress some societable, societable, societal norm, but... That's not quite the same as shame, because in shame you feel, I am the thing that is wrong. So the best way to help people who are really in the pit in this way is to try and show those people the love of God, the fact that God still loves them, whilst at the same time practically trying to give them back their dignity. Leprosy in this context we have seen extended beyond being just a physical disease. It encompassed psychological and social isolation and all the challenges that brings as well. The difference Jesus makes is not only here that he's cleansing the individuals of their illnesses, he's also dealing with the sin and he's also healing them and cleansing them by doing that, not only freeing them from guilt but getting rid or cleansing that sense of shame because of it. 
and that's really important. So now you'll move on to the second episode now in this passage and we find Jesus teaching in a house crowded with Pharisees and teachers of the law. And at this point we then see Jesus forgiving and healing a paralyzed man. So back to the text, verse 17, and it says, One day Jesus was teaching and the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were sitting there. They had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. Some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a mat, on a mat and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. When they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles in the middle of the uh, and down in the middle of the crowd, right in front of Jesus. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, Friends, your sins are forgiven. And the Pharisees and the teachers of the law began to think to themselves, Who is this fellow? He speaks blasphemy. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Jesus knew what they were thinking and asked, Why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Which is it easier to say, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Get up and walk? But so that I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. Immediately he stood up in front of them, took what he had been lying on and went home praising God. Everyone was amazed and gave praise to God and they were filled with awe and said, We have seen remarkable things this day. So here we have, friends, a familiar story, I'm sure, to many of us, one in which a paralyzed man is brought to Jesus by these four friends, four individuals. They find they're unable to get through the crowd, so they creatively come up with a solution by going up on the roof, removing some tiles, and lowering the man down in front of Jesus, which, of course, demonstrates their ingenuity, their perseverance, but also their faith their determination to bring their paralyzed friend to Jesus because they believed he could heal them. Now, the Pharisees and the teachers who are in this crowd in the house, they are present, they witness this extraordinary situation, and their response is to immediately start to critically scrutinize Jesus and what he's doing. Instead of choosing to focus on the amazing healing that goes on, they focus on Jesus's rather surprising granted single remark when he addresses the man's sins and says, you are forgiven. This is what sparks the controversy amongst the religious leadership who were there at the time. They immediately questioned Jesus' authority to say that thing, to say that he is clearly saying that he has the power to forgive sins, and they immediately call that out as blasphemy. But Jesus responds to them and says, well, is it easier to say your sins are forgiven or to rise up and walk? And then he demonstrates his authority to do that by saying, telling the paralyzed man to rise up, take his bed, walk and go home, which he promptly does. The crowd, not surprisingly, is amazed. But it seems in general, the general crowd, they respond by glorifying God, thanking God for what has happened here. Some, yes, they express fear and awe, 
recognizing the extraordinary nature of what they've done. But the general cloud seems by the majority seem to credit God for it and praise him for it. Now, this story, of course, underscores the importance of faith. But that, but that is only part of the build-up and is witnessed among those seeking the healing of this man. And that also, of course, should apply to us in terms of us. Because there's a metaphor here for us, bringing others to Christ, isn't there? Bringing others to him. Just Our job is just to get people before him in whatever state they find themselves physically, socially, psychologically. The faith of the four individuals who carry the paralyzed man is specifically highlighted here for us, emphasizing that there's probably, in a lot of cases, a sort of collective role of together bringing people so that they can stand before Christ. And Jesus' response, notice he says to him, rise up and walk, but notice he also says that, that because he saw their faith, he said, your sins are forgiven. Now, the Pharisees, their response to this is just simply to say, well, this is blasphemy. Only God can forgive. And the fact that he's saying this and doing this, that means he's a blasphemer. Now, of course, Jesus, it tells us, knows what they're thinking. And that's why he says to them, well, which is easier then? If you're thinking, I don't have the authority to do this, this if I can't forgive sins, then to prove they have the authority, it's easy, I'll say, rise up and walk. And of course, if you are God himself, then one is just as easy to say and one is just as easy to do as the other. Notice Jesus' use of strategic language here. By asserting your sins are forgiven, Jesus offers a statement that at that point in isolation uh, cannot be, if you like, externally proven. Who can know what's going on internally in this man? man's heart has he been forgiven for god however when jesus adds on top of that alongside it the commandment that the paralyzed man is to rise and walk he's providing a tangible demonstration of his authority and his identity as the messiah the son of god this also allows him to present himself in the messianic terms that the script the, the religious leadership at that time was understood rooted in Daniel chapter 7, signaling clearly that he is saying he's standing here in the promised role, uh, in the role of, as the promised Messiah, something they would have immediately understood. So he offers, if you like, in effect, he proves something that he has done internally in this man by demonstrating it through something external that they in fact can see, his physical healing. Now, the response from the wide crowd is fairly good, isn't it? There's a mixture of awe, amazement, a little bit of fear perhaps, but, uh, but ultimately crediting it with the Lord. Witnessing the miraculous healing and the fact he pronounces forgiveness should have inspired people to wonder and awe and should have inspired everyone to attribute it immediately to the divine intervention and power of God. Certainly, it landed in the man that way because it shows his immediate response and he takes up his bed and he glorifies God, remember. He experiences it and he accepts it. He credits God for it and he's raised up to take action. Fullness of this response highlights the potential impact that Jesus can have in the life of someone who acknowledges him. And 
it does this in the background of showcasing the different reactions amongst those who witness these miraculous events, allowing us to draw parallels to how people still respond today. Now, before I go on to the third and last episode of this passage we're going to look at today, I'd like to pause and just have us reflect for a moment about what a difference, what a profound difference Jesus makes in both these cases. Jesus forgives sin, and of course, as I said, the leprosy is a picture, a metaphor of sin in that it defiles, but also so is paralysis. Paralysis can be used as an illustration, a metaphor for sin also, because someone can get stuck, paralyzed in a wrong lifestyle by sin, literally becoming unable to walk metaphorically the path, the way of the Lord. So Jesus here, when he intervenes, he makes a difference, he forgives, and he does so in such a way that he cleanses and he forgives in a way that benefits the individual immediately and potentially into the future if they just credit him and follow that path. You know, in reality, particularly dealing with people with these problematic issues, I think a lot of the time people just need to know they're unconditionally loved and forgiven but forgiven by God. Everybody needs to know that, in fact. Just know they're unconditionally loved and accepted by God and forgiven if they turn to him. A lot of things we identify as emotional problems, mental problems, ultimately come down to the fact that people just need to be helped to experience the unconditional love and forgiveness of God, either for the first time or to be reminded of it again in their lives. Okay, let's move on to the last section where Jesus calls this guy Levi, Levi, and he is seen to eat, to dine with sinners. Verse 27, after this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him, and Levi got up and left everything and followed him. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others who were eating with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, who belonged to their sect, complained to his disciples, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered them, Is it not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick? I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Okay, so another very familiar episode in the life of Christ. The Pharisees and the scribes, they're questioning why Jesus associates again with these people who are considered socially undesirable, even morally questionable. And in response to their criticism, Jesus delivers, well, a profound statement. He expresses, he says, it's not the healthy that need a physician, is it? It's the sick. And by using this analogy, he is emphasizing, of course, his role as a healer, but also the one who can actually bring about and be a source of spiritual restoration. In essence, Jesus is highlighting that, the, that he has primarily come to call those who recognize themselves as sinners, come to those who acknowledge their need of spiritual healing and transformation. Those who don't see they have a need of it, well, he can't. he's not calling them anyway, is he? They don't even recognize their need 
of the doctor, the physician, the healer, the saviour. So this further episode illustrates again the revolutionary nature of Jesus' ministry into the situation he's ministering in. He's challenging again the societal norms and the religious expectations by reaching out to those who are outside of that, those who are on the margins of society, demonstrating again God's mercy and grace is in fact for all, for everyone, regardless of their position in the world or any perceived view of their own righteousness. In choosing to sit down and eat here with tax collectors and sinners, Jesus is sending a powerful message of inclusion, compassion, the availability of God's love to everyone, regardless of their past or their position in society. It underscores that his mission is to seek and to save the lost, and it offers a glimpse, I believe, into the very heart of God for all people still today. But he offers further explanations to these accusations. This core accusation made against him that he's socializing with sinners and that in some way that is wrong. And that answer is given to us in verse 31 and goes all the way down to the end of verse 39. And he uses different metaphors, pictures to answer this question and attack it from different uh, angles, if you like. So picking up the text in verse 31, it says... Jesus answered them, Is it not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick? I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Then they said to him, John's disciples often fast and pray, and so do the disciples of the Pharisees. But yours, they go on eating and drinking. Jesus answered, Can you make the friends of the bridegroom fast while he is still with them? The time will come when the bridegroom will be taken for them. In those days they will fast. He told them this parable. So this is another a new parable. No one tears a piece out of a new garment to patch an old one. Otherwise they will have torn the new garment, and the patch from the new will not match the old. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise the new wine will burst the skins, and the wine will run out, and the wineskins will be ruined. No new wine must be poured, no new wine, no new wine must be poured into new wineskins, and no one after drinking old wine wants the new, for they say the old is better. Okay, so in the midst of witnessing these miraculous healings, the Pharisees, well, what do they do? They complain again, they're killjoys again. But Jesus answers their accusation and he uses a series of analogies, one after the other. In verse 31, he quotes a familiar saying which says, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick do. So essentially, it speaks for itself, doesn't it? But notice he's also likening, aligning himself, if you like, with a doctor, one who is called to spend time amongst people who recognize they're sick emphasizing that he wants to associate with those who recognize their need of spiritual healing, and that, of course, is sinners. The second analogy comes in in verse 33, when the, the Pharisees again attack and question him and his disciples about their fasting habits. 
comparing them even to John the Baptist and his followers and their strict rules. And Jesus responds again, but this time he uses a bridegroom analogy, stating that when the bridegroom is present, there's a celebration, and he implies that while he's with them, literally suggesting fasting is unnecessary, likening his presence to the presence of the bridegroom at a wedding party. And then he adds this another analogy, a third analogy, and it involves the patching of an old garment with a piece from a new one. Jesus argues against this practice, emphasizing that he didn't come to patch up their old ways, but to bring something entirely new. This hints at Jesus fulfilling the law and introducing a new covenant. The final analogy of the wineskins here not only emphasizes, of course, the replacement of the old and the new, but also flags up the danger of trying to put new wine into old wineskins, because in fact it says it causes them to burst, losing both the wine and the wineskin. So this illustrates, I believe, the incompatibility of the old and the new ways emphasizing Jesus's mission to bring this new covenant, this new promise of the way people can be introduced and be made right with God, and saying that it cannot be contained within the confines of the Old Testament, and particularly their legalistic interpretation and attitudes about it. So each of these analogies he offers serve to underscore different aspects of Jesus's mission and the various, the wideness, the breadth, if you like, of his, the transformative nature of his message. These illustrations help to clarify the profound changes that Jesus can bring and introduce into the lives of people who call on him, and highlights the inadequacy of trying to fit this new revelation, this new way of thinking within these old-fashioned structures. That's an intriguing illustration because by putting new wine into an old skin, what happens is it starts to ferment, it starts to grow, a bit like the, the imagery he uses of yeast and bread also in teachings elsewhere. But in this case, it will lead to the bursting, the literal breaking apart of the old wine skin. And the same principle, of course, applies when patching an old piece of cloth. If you put a new, uh, smart piece, firm, clean piece of cloth, and attach it to a new, well, it doesn't work, does it? People will tell you it will begin to pull away. Jesus is emphasizing for us again that to introduce something new and try and retrofit it, if you like, with the old, within the old structures just isn't going to work. So he uses the analogy of wineskin. He uses the analogy of patching a cloth to underscore the incompatibility of trying to synchronize these two old and new ways together the new covenant is a new way a better way new in quality in the effectiveness of what it is called to do so the key takeaway here is jesus is actually introducing the new covenant the new testament the new promise he's not trying to force something through old legalistic structures because he's saying if you try and do that it will actually be counterproductivist this is the completion and the fulfillment of the old with the new something new when it comes along has always been seen in a sense to replace the old 
Galileo, think about him, he was branded the heretic when he held that the Earth moved round the sun. The scientist Lister had to fight for his antiseptic techniques to be, in, to be used in surgical operations. There was huge resistance against it. Simpson had to battle against the opposition in his advocation for the use of chloroform during surgery. All examples of a resistance to when something new suggested we change the way in which we do things. Let us today, friends, also be careful that we are not simply clinging to the old, to our old-fashioned ways of looking at things. Jesus effectively says, you're holding on to the old, which is good if it's done for the right reasons, but is not good if it's done for no good reason. The main point is that Jesus here is introducing a new covenant. He's not attempting to force it through the old legalistic structures. That would be counterproductive. So this truth he's presenting is meant to extend beyond the physical illustrations, beyond wineskins, beyond doctors, beyond tailors, beyond bridegrooms. It reflects. It is meant to reflect spiritually the universal spiritual resistance to embrace anything radically new, especially when you're trapped in your old uh, way of thinking about yourself and about God when it comes from a prospective legalistic place that raises the letter of the law above the spirit of the law. So the truth of this passage, the profound truth that's been offered for us here, is the difference that Jesus can make in the life of someone is not confined to just the spiritual realm alone. That is the most profound part of it, because that is the thing that changes our relationship with God. But also, from that, our getting up and walking after that is about it penetrating our everyday lives, every aspect of our everyday lives, offering immediate, yes, immediate transformation in our relationship with God, but also lasting transformation in how we live our lives. And my prayer today is like for all of us, as we've navigated together through Luke chapter 5, we experience something of the profound impact of encountering Jesus and allowing him to change our lives by responding with faith faith and openness and a willingness to embrace this new way of living, the newness that he has brought into our lives. And we can be so thankful and grateful to God for that, can't we? Okay, that's it for today. Hey friends, thank you for joining me. So glad you've been here today. Please remember that you can reach out and connect with this ministry. It's hosted on the Bible Project at buzzsprout.com. You can uh, like it, share it, subscribe to it on wherever you're listening to your podcast. But uh, there should be some links there, three ways you can connect. If you're not seeing active links, just visit us on the Buzzsprout homepage and there you'll find ways in which you can connect to this social, the socials, the LinkedIn page, the YouTube channel, other things like that. It's also the place where you can connect and share with this ministry. 
and importantly it's also the place where you can access some free resources I put there, an episode notes page and also a complete and full transcript of pretty much everything I've said today. Uh, they're free for you to use, download, copyright free, take them and use them in whatever way you find helpful to you or even with amongst other Christians, the other Christian community that you live and share within. So thank you again for being here today. I do trust that you've made a decision to come on this journey with me and I'll see you back here again very soon. It'll probably be for tomorrow for me, but whatever day works for you is good and I'll see you soon again on the Bible Project Daily Podcast. Bye-bye for now.